This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Tuesday, October 18th. You're locked into Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. In just a moment, comedian Lisa Baker joins us uh, just a, a short time ago, a couple of, well, uh, earlier this year, let me put it. Uh, but but Lisa was probably one of the most prominent, if not the most prominent Canadian comedian that's experienced uh, this to this point. A front row heckler flipping a table at her, pint glasses flying. She goes after the heckler. Drama ensues. Uh, But of course, this is happening across the United States and around the world. It's something we wanted to talk about. This is uh, content that was prompted in part by a real talker who reached out and said, hey, ever since Will Smith went up on stage at the Oscars and smacked Chris Rock, this this has become a a more and more prominent problem. It's something we should talk about. And I'm looking forward to Lisa Baker joining us. Plus, National Observer lead columnist Max Fawcett has a a new column out this morning. Uh, You can read it at nationalobserver.com. He says that Danielle Smith's anti-urban agenda should scare Albertans and worry her fellow conservatives. Now, columnists that use the word scare in the headlines know that they're going to get some attention there. So we'll dig into that with Max. I also want to ask him about Premier Scott Moe's claim that the carbon tax is going to cost Saskatchewan more than $110 billion over the next number of years. And of course, we want to touch on what Premier Doug Ford had to say just yesterday, acknowledging that the Emergencies Act invoked by the Prime Minister, by the Liberal government during that Ottawa occupation last winter, last February-ish, he said it was justified. And Sapria Devetti and I joking a few days ago, she wondering aloud, where has Doug Ford been in all of this? I was complimenting him for his ability to kind of stay Teflon through all of this. He, He wasn't down there. He wasn't prominent. He wasn't in the spotlight, just how he'd like it, right? You remember back then, Ottawa's mayor, Watson, uh, was, of course, in front of the cameras for obvious reasons. His city was under siege. And then you had the prime minister talking about it as well. Of course, opposition politicians making hay about it. But where was Doug Ford? He didn't seem to get his hands dirty on it. Uh, But yesterday, Johnny, why don't we tee this up to kind of set the tone? He's in front of reporters. You remember the public inquiry has been happening. We've been talking about this on the show. Sapri and I just a short time ago. Uh, Finally, Doug Ford in front of the microphones. And so reporters wanted to know exactly where he and I guess his PC government stood on whether or not it was the right move for Ottawa There's to impose. There's going on right now, today, about the use of the Emergencies Act by the federal government. Many of the witnesses who have testified, residents, businesses, have said that they were feel, felt abandoned by the police, the city, the province, and the federal government. So I'm wondering um, why you are not... Uh, one of the people who's testifying at this inquiry, but also if you can think back to February, do you think that the federal government was justified in using the Emergencies Act to lift the occupation of downtown Ottawa? Well, we have some of the top officials with the OPP testifying, and uh, yes, I I stood shoulder to shoulder with the the Prime Minister. Uh, These uh, folks were, were, you know, camping out everything from whirlpools, disrupting downtown, disrupting the lives of the people of Ottawa. Uh, we've worked collaboratively with, with the mayor and the, 
the, the prime minister over at the borders. They were holding up a billion dollars of trade every single day getting across our borders. We were getting phone calls from governors. It's unacceptable. Uh, myself and, and I know the prime minister believe in free speech. And if you want to protest, protest. If you want to come down to Queen's Park and do cartwheels. But if you disrupt the lives of the people of Ottawa every single day, disrupt the lives of economic flow across our borders, I have zero tolerance for it. There you go. Zero tolerance. So the matter is settled. Doug Ford on the record. He says he thinks it was the right move. What's that going to do for for dialogue, in particular among conservatives in Canada? I'm curious to know your thoughts on that. You can send us a note. And then John and I are both keeping an eye on one of the newest live streams uh, that's grabbing global attention. I probably don't have to tell you about the plight of British PM Liz Truss. She's already trending uh, to be the shortest serving prime minister in British history, uh, an embattled government that's seeing all of his economic plans essentially evaporate as they lose support among the uh, not just the elected officials, but the electorate as well. It's been a tough start for Liz Truss, of course, replacing the outgoing uh, Boris Johnson. But this new live stream asks <laughs> on day five, can Liz Truss outlast this lettuce and uh there's a head of lettuce a british newspaper has started this live stream on youtube uh lettuce they say john has a shelf life of approximately 10 days no way you think longer or shorter 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 than 10 i buy a head on sunday you know by friday it's okay well this is good news for liz trust then (laughs) Uh, because if you take a live look at my screen right now, you can see I am on the live stream. Uh, it's uh, it's it's <laughs> as we speak, three thirty eight in the afternoon uh, in the UK. And they've got the lettuce dressed up with a nice wig. Uh, it's it's got sort of these accoutrements that you would typically see on a pumpkin. You know, the googly eyes, the happy smile. It's got some sunglasses up on its head. This head of lettuce does a sandwich there. Uh, looks to me to be a cup of coffee and a, and a photo, a framed photo of the smiling Liz Trust. This must have been earlier in her tenure. As of right now, they're neck and neck, but perhaps she will outlast this head of lettuce. We'll keep an eye on this over the next number of days, bringing you the hard-hitting reporting <laughs> and international journalism that you have come to expect from Real Talk. Uh, do you want to load up that other tweet, a British author uh, and and uh, with a pretty great sense of humor as well, talking about Liz Truss. This was James Felton just yesterday, said Liz Truss, uh, British Prime Minister, has hit that sweet spot where she's taking it easy because it's her first few weeks and she's also phoning it in because it's her last few weeks. So that's a nice spot to be. That's a nice, sweet spot to be in. Nice. So so there you go with Liz Truss. Uh, Lisa Baker is coming up in just a moment. But uh, first, of course, we want to remind you that these conversations happen because of amazing sponsors like our friends at Athabasca University. It's Canada's open university. And this is maybe the time of year. I know it's, I know it's not yet moving on. We're not moving on into 2023 quite yet, but you're going to start thinking about what is my next year look like like i guess what i'm saying is i'm not in october going to start talking about new year's resolutions but if you've got a plan to maybe take that degree or master's program there's no better time than right now go to athabascau.ca for more information you know once we start hitting that winter into spring it's a time of renewal and new opportunities and athabasca university is a great option you can study anytime anywhere take as little or as much time as you need to complete the course or program they are as flexible as you need them to be so if you've got a winter vacation coming up no worries you're in charge of your schedule you won't miss an exam you're not going to be studying the entire time you're away that is the worst 
Plus, AU's age demographics a little bit older, bringing years of work experience to their schooling. Never too late to go to school, head back to school and finish that degree program. You can check them out online today at AthabascaU.ca. And also a reminder, we're going to tell you every single day you have until November 3rd to get your tickets for the Covenant Foundation Lottery to qualify to have your life absolutely transformed. $2.2 million life-changing luxury. That's the dream home, the grand prize in this year's edition of the Covenant Foundation Lottery in support of, of course, the Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospitals. But it's not just the beautiful dream home up for grabs. What about a luxury vacation to Turk and Caicos? What about a new Alpha? Romeo? What about hella skiing or a guided fly fishing experience? Of course, there's that chance to win more than a half million dollars with the split 50-50 as well and more. Check them out online at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. We don't have to look far to find evidence of a troubling new trend. I mean, let me show you a couple of headlines right now on Entertainment Weekly. You know, Pat Oswalt, Whitney Cummings, and more. Cheer comedian Ariel Elias's response to a beer-throwing, Trump-supporting heckler. Threw a beer at her, the comedian picked it up, chugged it, and went on with her set. Way to handle it. Great job. But that's not something you should have to encounter as a performer. Can we all agree? Or what about this headline here in the New York Post? More comedians getting attacked on stage like Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle. It's the story of comic Samson McCormick, who was assaulted on stage, punched in the face at the Wind River Resort and Casino in Redding, California. It's not just happening in the United States. Lisa Baker is a nationally touring comedian. Uh, she's just completed two cross-Canada tours in 2022. She's got two comedy albums recorded during the pandemic, featured on Sirius XM. You can find her online across social media at Lisa Baker Comedy. Joining us now live this morning, making her Real Talk debut. Lisa, welcome to the show. It's nice to see your face. Thanks for having me. Uh, you, you were brought to our attention, your story and the way that you handled a similar circumstance by a real talker that said they'd love to hear from you. Uh, Johnny, why don't we roll the video here? And Lisa, most people that are going to hear this on the podcast would be grateful for your play-by-play. Tell us what happened here. When did this all go down? You had a table flipped at you, drinks yeah. flying everywhere. What's the deal? So it was a table that had asked to sit up front, and then they proceeded to just be loud and uh, unruly. People around them were getting upset. And this is the moment, yeah, so they were asked to leave. He flips the table at me, and then I come down and get in his face. Um, and then the men just came around, pushed me back. There was glass all over the floor. They were asking me if I'm okay. They want me to kind of stand in one spot so I don't get caught or anything because I wasn't wearing proper footwear uh, to be walking through glass. Um, and the owner is in there as well, the, the venue owner. And they immediately removed him and they had the RCMP show up and he, uh, I believe, was taken to the drunk tank. Okay. This is just last month. This was in September. Where September, was this at? It, September uh, 10th. And w- where was it? Sylvan Lake, Alberta. Sylvan Lake, Alberta. Yeah, mm-hmm. You're you're a, you're originally from Newfoundland. You call Alberta right. home right now. This would you consider that your home turf? Is this is this a, yeah. is this a, an unprecedented, at least to that point, unprecedented throughout your career? Well, I mean, there was a there was a time years ago I did a corporate for a hotel and there was a one of the employees was very, um, very threatening to the point that the comic I was opening for at the time had to he got off stage. He was like, I need to go check on her. There's something going on. Um, They had to escort us to our rooms. This guy was very threatening. Um, But otherwise, 
I haven't experienced it. I've known other comics to experience it. Um, but it's the first time that I've ever experienced that level of violence um, while I was performing. You uh, you immediately respond. You kind of jump back as the table flies, as the drinks fly. For people yeah. listening, let me paint a picture. Like, like you, this wasn't like someone in the background. This, this, it almost hit you. The table almost hit you. The drinks, I mean, did you, you actually yeah. got splashed. It looked like this was close. I did. Yeah, this was yeah. close. And it was, it was interesting to hear because people were saying stuff like, you know, well, what did you say? And I was like, well, what, what could I have said? Tell me what I could have said to justify that level. Because it was very, he threw that table. It lifted off the floor, came up onto the stage, uh, knocked the mic stand. Like, there was a bunch of stuff going on. And, um, you know, I just... It was nothing I said. They were just asked to leave. It was a, a level of entitlement I've never seen. Yeah, I mean, pe- people, I guess, might be curious to know, like, w- you know, what were the events or what was the exchange that led up to something like that? But to ask the question in the sense of what did you say, uh, yeah. to me, almost seems to be asking a woman being catcalled or, or a woman that's being sexually harassed, you know, what were you wearing, right? There's, exactly, there's always yeah. been, there's been, and there needs to be uh, an invisible line, like an imaginary glass wall between the stage and the audience, right? I mean, comedians, I mean, I've been, I love, there's nothing like a live comedy show. You need to be able to take on a heckler. You need to be able to have a bit of fun. If somebody asks to sit in the front row, they're signing up for a certain experience, aren't they, potentially? Yeah. And and honestly, too, like, I had spoken to them because they were uh, they were sitting in the front. But it was stuff, like, I had asked a question and they had applauded. Um, I think I had said who's from, like, Newfoundland. And there was people at that table who happened to be from there, people at the next table. And so I'd just been, like, normal, like, oh, where are you from, that kind of thing. But there was nothing um, that was said that was offensive um, directed towards them. And so it was really kind of just out of left field when it happened. And it, but it like, again, it, like it's, I feel like it's entitlement because people are like, I want to watch comedy, but I want the comedian to say only things that I want them to say. Yeah. And I want to behave only how I want to behave. It's at a point now where I feel like people who, if you pay for something, be it, you know, a comedy show, groceries even, because look at the way people are treating retail workers. It's almost like we're not people to them anymore. Like we owe them something. And if they we don't deliver it, they have the right to react however they want. Do you think is this and, and I don't necessarily believe what I'm about to ask you. I'm not saying that this mm-hmm. is the case, but I'm curious for your take. Uh, when Will Smith stepped up on stage at the Oscars, uh, when he crossed that line, like metaphorically and literally, and open hand smacked Chris Rock. Uh, did that change everything or no? It was always an issue, but I do feel like it's it emboldened people for sure. I feel like it definitely um, set um, like a presence where people were like, yeah, no, we can, this is acceptable. Like this is, because the amount of people even commenting on that incident who really felt like Will Smith was justified. Like, just for hitting someone for words like it just blows my mind you got uh there's a guy online i I happen to see that that is claiming that he was the guy in the video and i know that he's been harassing you a little bit he yeah i was i was kind of doing the match his photo doesn't seem to match the guy in the video and i think this guy might be a little bit troubled but but my point that what i'm making is is, here is that that not every uh comment and not every reply to you has been sympathetic uh as a matter of fact i was reading through some of the the feedback and that's a very gracious way to put it that you've been receiving 
you handle it graciously, uh, but uh, it, it's pretty brutal. You, you think that uh, do people kind of I don't know do I do I say inhuman people people see comedians or performers in, in in a bit of a twisted way? They they think it's our entire personalities. Like even if um, you know I'm I make content or I, a tweet or, or a post or video or whatever, and it's about something it could be um, you know something political or um, you know something my opinion on a certain topic and people are like oh just stick to jokes and it's like yeah but you understand that i'm like a whole three-dimensional person who's lived a whole ass life um who's had other experiences outside of what i do for a living and people just want that one thing from us and otherwise they just want us to shut up and not not have an opinion not talk about anything so for the last year because my social media really blew up over the last year it's been um, it's been interesting because I do get a lot of um, just just garbage, and it seems to me that um, you know as I it, honestly the only thing I can see is um, being a woman also really bothers people. Yeah, um, let's get into that. Yeah, because I have like I work with men, like I have colleagues, my opening actor, you know, someone I'm touring with, and they don't get they'll get a bit of it, but they don't get the level that I get. And even like when my opening act is a man or I go into a place um, and my fiance is with me and like I'm setting up, everybody, like they're the default, not me. I'm never the default, even though like it's, I, I book the tour and I finance the tour. And I'm not the default person ever. Can we actually, I want to, I want to swerve away. Well, no, this is all part of the bigger conversation. It's not a swerve. I was talking to a couple people. Here's a little peek behind the curtain and we're working on, we do a real talk round table every Friday and, and we're talking to a couple people, uh, a couple of women. We're, we're working on a, a round table on casual sexism and there, one of them is in academia. One of them is in industry and, and we're going to put a third panelist together and this is coming up in the next few weeks type thing. Anyway, so this is a conversation fresh with me. We were having this conversation just yesterday and they were giving me examples. They said, like, here's one example. I'm not going to spoil it. I want people to hear the roundtable. But, but here's an example of casual sexism here. And, you know, you must experience it all the time. Like, like Constantly. Okay, so, so take us into it. Because I think that this is, we need, this is all part of the reason, right? This is all part of the reason why someone feels emboldened. There's got to be several contributing factors. I would imagine that in, inebriation has to be one of them, I hope. Absolutely. I mean, I don't hope, but you know what I'm saying. Like, if he, if he, well, was, well, I would, if I he would wasn't hammered, so. then he's a real asshole. But, but right? right? <laughs> but there's, there, like you said, I mean, sex, and there's got to be a big factor at play here. Yeah, because I honestly, I don't feel like he would have done that if, like, my opening act um, kind of looks like a biker most of the time. He's got the hand tattoos as well and, uh, he, you know, sleeves. And I feel like if he had been on stage, um, he probably wouldn't have had a table thrown at him. And then to see the man's reaction when I get in his face because he flinches a few times and it's like, okay, what did you think was going to happen? Did you think you were going to throw the table at me and I was going to cry and people were going to clap? Um, so I feel like just even that, him thinking that, I was, I guess, not going to re react to that, um, blew my mind. I've had, uh, you know, our, our last tour was called Boats and Hoes. And the amount, like, one woman really went off on me because she, th she was like, it, that is so disrespectful to call the tour that. And I can't believe you're sharing this, like you're going to do these shows with this man who has such little respect for you that he would call the tour Boats and Hoes. And I was like, man, respectfully you might want to check your own internalized misogyny because he's the opening act. I'm the um, person who put the tour together, who financed the tour. 
and name the tour. Don't act like the only time I'm getting on stage is when a man invites me, okay? And so it just blows my mind. It's just assumed all the time. Can I ask, like, how did the comedy club handle this? And, and bigger picture conversations you're having with your colleagues, like what's the appropriate response from a venue? I mean, well, this venue was actually, it's actually a restaurant, a pub in Sylvan Lake. Um, they let me come in and do a show. Let me, cause I typically book him with local businesses. Uh, I used to be a Yucks comedian. I quit back in April and it's because I, I want to be independent. I want to be able to, I take the door most of the time. So they're not getting, cause they take way too much of a cut. And so I just felt like it was unfair. And this club was wonderful. This venue was amazing. The owner was in there. They apologized. Um, they're, they're the ones that sent me the security footage. Um, they were incredibly supportive as were the audience members. Um, but there have been clubs, um, and there's a article from a few years back regarding a comic at Niagara Falls, Yuck Yucks, who was, uh, you know, aggressively heckled on stage. Um, and then she asked the club, like, why didn't you handle this? Like, once you see, you know, we can handle it, but at some point the club has to step in. At some point the club has to realize that, yes, okay, this particular table might be spending a lot of money, but so are the tables around them. I'd rather lose one than lose 10, you know, that are never going to come back because they felt like, you know, their experience didn't matter to the venue. The venue didn't remove the troublemakers. And in that case, she lost work. And she's not the first comic to have that happen where, you know, there was an incident of, uh, you know, extreme heckling or violence. I, I, you know, there's been comics who've been, had things thrown at them on stage. Darren Frost um, had glasses thrown at him on stage and lost work because of it. And it's because, you know, these venue owners, um, in at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, yeah, I guess like, you know, but are you really hurt? And like, they spent a lot of money and it just blows my mind that our safety is not even a consideration. You're talking. Yeah. This is Christina Walkinshaw, right? Yes. Is the comedian you're talking about. This is back yes. in 2013 coming up on 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the details of this are especially relevant. Um, it, it feels a little bit weird for me to say it out loud on the show, but basically, so she's, you want to say what people are yelling at her? Yeah, they were yelling, like, show us your tits and yeah. show us your bush or whatever, like, just yeah. being very aggressive. Yeah, and, and then she lo and then she loses the gig. Yeah, she lost the, the weekend, the rest of the weekend. And it's happened before to comics where, you know, they lose gigs, they lose not just that weekend, but, like, upcoming bookings. And, um, you know, there's a lot of venues out there and a lot of clubs that really will support their acts, that will 100% have our backs. But... Not all of them. And unfortunately for some comics, for many comics, they still have to work for those venues, even knowing their safety is not a concern to them because they need the income. Man, oh man. So where do you want this public conversation to go? Like, I saw one comment on here. I think it was from uh, Sheriff or something like that on the live. Our live chat's churning right now, which is awesome. Um, but somebody I would imagine. And, and hey, let me say this. Um, you know, we, we spent a weekend of our family's summer in Sylvan Lake. And I know that Sylvan Lake right now, people that are living in Sylvan Lake are going, oh, shit. Right. Oh, yeah, like, no, they were lovely. Yeah. Those and, people and, are lovely. And so I scrolled back here and Cactus Sheriff says, you know, when judging a community, remember to look at how many people immediately jumped in to stop exactly. the situation which is a great point too um but but like with regards to when people are going to hear this and people are going to talk about this interview and what happened to you where do you want this conversation to go i would because this happens everywhere and i don't want people to focus on where exactly it happened because yeah the people of silver lake were mad this was the talk of the town the, the, all those people jumped in i never felt more safe um but this happens literally everywhere and 
what we need to do is, you know, when there's um, like venues, if you're going to host a comedy show, whether it's your regular thing or you're doing a one-off, you need to ensure, like you need to be part of that organization of keeping that show running smoothly and ensure the comic safety, just like you would any other employee. And then people like the public in general, we need to be like holding people accountable. So like if somebody is, because a lot of times they won't listen to me um, if they're really, really kind of, you know, hellbent on just shitting on me while I'm on stage. But if you have uh, a man or, or, you know, a table full of people lean over and say, hey, we need you to stop. Like you're ruining the show. People will often then just, they will stop. They will stop what they're doing. And, and But again, we need people to just kind of start holding each other accountable. We used to do that all the time. We used to be, you know, if somebody was just, you know, being a dink in public, you'd call them out. And like now everyone, and I get why people are afraid, but um, a lot of times people are braver. They appear braver than they actually are. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a comedian, certainly, uh, but I do a lot of public events and I do a lot of event hosting and, and something like this. I mean, I remember even, uh, I'm certainly not comparing myself to Chris Rock. I've never hosted anything like the Oscars. Uh, but when that happened, you do wonder, you kind of think about it. You go, what would I do in a circumstance like that? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this, the, the stuff that people will say to me on Twitter, rarely to my face, like, what if I was at an event? What if I was at a charity fundraiser publicizing where I was going to be announcing well, my location? And somebody that exactly. had an ax to grind came up and wanted to, to, to knock my teeth out. Like, what would I do? It's something that I didn't used to think about 10 years ago. Well, for me too, like if I'm performing somewhere, it's nothing to even follow us after a show. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be at the venue or in the parking lot. Like people, like we're so easy to find and so scary when you think about it that way. And I think that's the thing. People need to stop. Like if you're sitting there and you're going to comment on a video of that nature with, well, what did you say? Like, just stop. Don't, don't comment. Just, just immediately condemn the behavior. Hmm. Regardless, just condemn the behavior. Did you and for it, a second, Lisa, think about, like that would say quitting, uh, but but do, do you, does it give you pause with regards to whether or not you want to put your continue to put yourself out there or no? There are times when I'm like, you know, that office job was decent, like, <laughs> you know, or maybe I should pull out the work boots and the tools again and go back into the no. I, I wouldn't, I'm, you know, I, I'm certainly always looking for ways to sort of branch off of this, but stand up is where I live. Like I'll always do stand up. I can't not do stand up. So I don't think it would take a lot for some to make me quit. Yeah. You, you'd probably just find yourself out on the job site somewhere, chirping people, get working on new material, well, right? Like it's got to find exactly it out. You got, you got to find an outlet. Hey, you were just out. You were just way up North. I was seeing your tweets. People can follow you on Instagram, Twitter at Lisa Baker comedy. They can check out your website, lisabakercomedy.com where they can uh, shop for your new album. They can check out your upcoming shows. They can book you. Um, how it looked to me like you had a pretty great time up there in, in a, a part of the country that, that a lot of people don't get to go explore. No, it was, uh, it was incredible. I got to go to Yellowknife. I've been there a few times, but I got to go to a Callowit, uh, none of it for the first time. Um, and then in November, I'm going to Whitehorse. So by the end of this year, I'll have done stand up in every province and territory in Canada. That's incredible. And a Callowit, that was the tough one. So I've got it done. And I honestly, I'm already looking forward to going back. 
Love it. Amazing. Love it. Well, listen, from the minute, like I, I, I don't want to, I don't, I, I got to choose my words carefully here. Cause I don't want to say I loved the video from the moment I saw it because I, there, there's nothing to love about people harassing and assaulting performers and flipping tables and things like that. But, but like, there's something, uh, the, the way that you're hardwired, you could see like you were just, you were just fierce. And, and I love like my favorite part of what you did is you kind of fake, you kind of drew back and kind of did the fake punch and buddy flinched. I was like, at a girl, there you go. I loved it. Now, of course, I hope it never happens again. I hope it never happens again, but you've got a great energy and I'm grateful that you made time to talk to us today, Lisa. I appreciate you having me here. Yeah, there you go. That's Lisa Baker. Check her out again at lisabakercomedy.com. Uh, John, you've done a lot of uh, public events. Like, I thought you were going to say comedy. Have you done any comedy? Did you ever do any like media nights, any comedy festivals or anything like that? I you do, ever put yourself out I there on stage? I do comedy every day here in the studio. You, you know do. that. I make you laugh. Your valuable one-liners. You keep your spirits up. You ever seen anything like that in person? <laughs> I haven't, and it, and it is true. It's getting worse. And, uh, you know, some of the, you know, the Dave Chappelle, whether you agree with what there is being said or not, it seems like comedy was always this window, this place where we could, you know, you're going to say things that are offensive, but they're jokes. And I know a lot of jokes can hurt sometimes. Sometimes they go too far. But in the end, I like that there's a safe space for people to say what they want. And in the end, most of the time, they're being lighthearted. They're yeah. taking a joke because they want you, the, even the person they're making fun of, to laugh. So uh, the fact that comedians now have to think when they're writing stuff like, oh, well, I got a beer bottle thrown at me for this. It yeah. just, it, like, what are we, is it going to be like the president now? Like, everyone's behind glass when they're doing a comedy set? Like, it's the whole thing about a comedy set is the intimate experience you have with yeah. the people there being close, being able to smell them, see them, feel them breathe. And then, you know, even when heckling happens, it used to just be words. And then the comedian has a chance. Hey, here's a chance for me to spin this. Totally. To get into it with this heckler, maybe even win them over most of the time if you're a funny person. And it's sort of changed where I, I was watching something, some live comedy show the other night, and, and some people just avoid the hecklers now because why draw them in? Because they could get angry. They yeah, could get and on it's stage. Like, it's you know? like how's a comedian supposed to handle heckling? Right. Like like you said, sometimes heckling often most times heckling makes a comedian look good. The heckler rarely emerges as the star. Uh, but at the same time, heckling derails a show. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's rarely welcomed by the audience. No. Uh, you don't typically see the uh, the fellow audience members grateful that the heckler is chiming in with their brand of comedy. No, they which didn't they, pay for the heckler, you know, uh, but at the same time, like, you know, I, I feel like, you know, we're to a point now where if comedians have to start second guessing if they have to start choosing the words carefully because they're afraid somebody's going to flip a table uh then it's going to change comedy this has been part of what you sign up for to enter a comedy club uh, you know it's 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 why like when you're on a first date you know that you know that sense of like when when you get picked for something on the playground and your stomach sinks because it's a high pressure scenario and you were yeah. hoping someone else would get picked yeah. or the teacher calls on you in the classroom to answer the question and you don't quite know for me it was it was anything to do with math mm -hmm. I never wanted to be picked and that sense of relief you feel when someone else gets picked yeah it's like when a comedian hones in how, how about you sir where are you from what's this so oh, it's a first date oh it's a first date how's he doing so and you're going thank god she's not talking to me mm-hmm Right. It's, but it's part of what you've signed up for. And typically as an audience member, if you handle it well, you might have a little fun poked at your expense. Yeah. Sometimes a, a zinger, sometimes something that might even be a little bit hurtful. Um, but that's not to say that that, 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 that 
that that emboldens someone or should give the green light for a violent interaction. I no. mean, I feel like maybe we're saying something that's a little bit obvious here, but it's an undeniable trend. And like Lisa said in a recent tweet, it's certainly not limited to the United States. And here's an example of it happening right here in Alberta. And the person, if you watch this video again, watch, there's a young, there's a woman, like he doesn't even, he's with this woman and he disregards her. Watch this woman. She's getting up. She's clearly drunk. She falls. He looks at her. He doesn't care. Now she gets almost, you know. Almost trampled. Yes. And he, this is the woman he's with. Like he doesn't give any regard for her. So this person clearly is not. Yeah. You know, his haircut kind of says guy. it all, doesn't it? <laughs> right? Business in the front, like, party in the back, the again, old moule. Again, alcohol playing a huge factor here. You can tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do Are we things, do? Do we limit drinks like at comedy clubs now? Do we? You know, well, like, and I mean, yeah. I, someone on the uh, someone in the live chat said I, I can't find it right now. My apologies. Basically said something which is here is this from Tony who says whatever happened to cutting off somebody who's getting obviously intoxicated mm -hmm. or not letting somebody in if they're obviously drunk. It's it's tough to say. But I, I've worked as a bartender. Table. It's one it's one thing if somebody's on their 16th shot of Don Julio, then then, you know, it's one thing. But but, you know, maybe Buddy had a Mickey of vodka in the parking lot before before coming in know. maybe buddy's got anger issues maybe but like these things can fly under the radar and you don't know mm -hmm. and there is certainly is the onus on 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 bartenders and, and venue managers to not overserve. but let's be honest also like the real talk like it's a business and typically they're going to sell as many drinks as they can to people so long as the people don't become unruly mm -hmm. maybe now comedy clubs like i'm trying to think of the last comedy club i went to i, I, I there's someone at the door i'm pretty certain uh, typically there you know there's there's someone in there keeping an eye on things but mm -hmm. maybe you need a couple of uh, security guards in front of the stage at every venue now i don't know i mean it's increased cost for the venue and um, what does that do to the vibe too there are two guys totally. standing on the side of the stage and then limiting like alcohol's not an excuse either everyone likes to have a few dingleheimers at the uh, comedy club dingleheimers <laughs> what goes into a dingleheimer is that sort of a german liqueur secret sauce we'll have one at the christmas party <laughs> i can ask max Fawcett if he's ever seen anything like this in just a second lead columnist from canada's national observer is going to join us but first i want to remind you uh exactly why the jesperson family feeds our two pups moses and monroe grand dog essentials quality raw food we we have been doing business with grand dog essentials for years way before they started started doing business with Real Talk, and it's because we've seen the health impacts, the positive effects of raw food in both of our dogs' health. You know, they've got not just the quality raw food, but supplements as well. What about the healing powers of mushrooms? What about your dog going yeast-free? Is there an ear infection problem? Maybe itchy paws? You're going to want to look into that yeast protective coating. You're going to want to look into yeast-free. It's a supplement that they sell. Fruit and veggies, adding that to your food. That's information you're going to find on their blog i guess the point i'm getting at is they understand holistic health at granddog.ca you can shop you can read their blog you can learn more about the benefits of quality raw food and if you use the promo code real talk you'll save 10 percent off your first time order delivered right to your door so convenient in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta. Our friends at Kubi Energy, of course, you know what's coming. Winter's coming, and it means that people are going to be using more power, more energy. Electricity rates are up. It's a better time now than ever before to visit kubienergy.ca and get a quote on going solar at home. This Canada Greener Homes grant means that you can tap into a loan up to $40,000 interest-free from the feds. Take 10 years to pay it off. Uh, but here's the thing. With these programs, sometimes it takes time. we got to do the drawings, got to do the renderings, got to get the loan approved. So if you want your install to go first 
thing in the spring. Once that snow melts, you're going to want to visit kubienergy.ca today. Don't forget Positive Reflections, the first show of every week. We fill our buckets, courtesy of our friends at Kubi Energy. At Eden Landscaping, it's the same deal. Yeah, they're not going to break ground on your brand new patio. They're, they're not going to get started on your water feature in the middle of December. We all know that. But there's the real property report they got to pull. There's the special. Uh, you want you want you want to add this. You want to make you know make your project happen with some of the construction materials that are unique that take a little longer to get here, especially with strains on the supply chain. It's why you want to get in touch with Mike and his team today at Eden Landscaping. They've got a full service portfolio: excavation, retaining walls, brick, natural beauty, stunning stonework. You name it, they've done it from the ultra modern to the classic looks you can see their portfolio online at landscapeedmonton.ca and before we get to max i want to remind you about apex automation's call to professional engineers across the country what's so special about apex automation well let me tell you they're putting their people first they understand that PNGs, they understand the professional engineers across the country are looking for more than just a decent salary. They want to feel fulfilled. They want to give people their time back. They want to have more time to be closer to their families. That's why Apex is opening offices close to where their clients are across Western Canada so their staff, their team members can be home with their families at night. If you're ready for a change, if you know what you bring to the table and you want to be reciprocated value-wise, check Check out apexautomation.ca today. Max Fawcett is the lead columnist for Canada's National Observer. We're going to talk to him about the carbon tax today. We're going to talk to him about Premier Danielle Smith's first week in office. I want to ask him about Doug Ford and the Emergencies Act and a whole lot more. But first, Max, real life, real conversation. You ever been in a comedy venue or anywhere else where a performer was, was heckled or somebody crossed the line like we just saw with comedian Lisa Baker there? I haven't been in a comedy club, sadly, in, in far too long. Um, but, I, you know, I know this is this is a, a concern for them now. I, you know, I listen to a bunch of podcasts of, of comedians. One of my favorite is Bill Burr. And, you know, he's talked about this, about how it's just a different dynamic now after the whole Will Smith thing. It seems like there's there's a permission structure in place to to cross a line. And it's funny because, it, you know, heckling is part of the vibe of a comedy club. There's always that interaction between performer and audience that that is part of the magic uh in some respects you know i think some of my favorite moments in comedy and, and admittedly some of these i've watched on youtube but it's it's comedians kind of clapping back at hecklers but you know if, if you're worried that the heckler is going to come up on stage and and actually interact with you physically that the change is the whole vibe um so you know it's 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 a shame that that's happening there's there's a difference obviously between these things happening in person like happened at the comedy club there in sylvan lake and this happened across the united states and elsewhere uh and what happens online but i think that the two go hand in hand when we start talking about root causes or sort of the the, the permissions that people feel that they've been granted or how people become emboldened uh, to say the very least, you've got your fair share of critics online. Have you adjusted or amended your approach to clapping back over the last six or 12 or 24 months? Uh, that's a good question. A little bit. Um, you know, I really do try. I know this. my people who don't like me will not agree with this, but I do try to sort of stay in the lane of facts, of, of responding with information, of asking questions, of not getting personal. Um, but, you know, I, I've 
I try to not interact with with American accounts with high numbers of followers just because, you know, you can spend days dealing with uh, the, the stream of trolls that yeah. comes from it. You know, I think I think if, if you're respectful and respectful can still be tough, right? You can be tough and respectful. You can be questioning and respectful. But as long as you're respectful, I think you have uh, reason to expect the same. And then when you don't get that, you you have the high ground. You know, I I would note that despite still being blocked by Premier Danielle Smith, I've never been disrespectful to her personally, um, you know, in the way that she says other people have. So I think that's sort of the the approach that you need to take. Hey, I, I'm, I'm assuming that you saw my conversation with her. It was the first sit down that she granted here on Real Talk, the first one we did in this new studio, and your name came up specifically. Uh, she said she was going to unblock you. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. I mean, by name, she said she was going to unblock you. Are you are you advocating to see it happen? I mean, I don't really care. Like, I can still see the things she's saying. I can still respond to her ideas. I have a column. I have a platform. So, you know, it's fun for me. Um, but I do think it's it's a bad sign when a public official is blocking people for asking questions they don't like, because not everyone has a column. Not everyone gets to appear on your wonderful show. And they have a right to ask questions and, and be heard, uh, I think. And as long as they're being respectful, as long as they're not calling names and and using slurs, I, I really don't think that politicians should be blocking their constituents and the, and the people that they're elected to represent. We've got the I don't know if you saw this, uh, but there is a, a British newspaper. Daily Star has, uh, has has put out this live stream. You can watch it on YouTube. Day five. Can Liz Truss outlast this head of lettuce? Uh, and they want to see if if her if her uh, her tenure as British PM will last longer than this dressed up head of lettuce. I wonder if you could come up with some sort of a live stream, uh, maybe using like a, some sort of a, a local uh, bit of produce or maybe some sort of local food stuff. A perishable is what I'm getting at. And. And see how long it might take for you to become unblocked by the premier's Twitter account. That could be some engaging content. Maybe we could host it here on the Real Talk channel. It'd be fun, but we'd need to use like a, a gourd or something because I think it's going to take a long time. You know? Yeah, we need something that's going to age over months. A gourd, uh, yeah. not not days. Yeah, yeah, that's well. Well, the good news is is that they're abundant right now at supermarkets like your <laughs> local Friesen Brothers. There you go. So people can pick that go. up. Hey, let's get into you know some of the some of the actual real down to business stuff that you've been working on. I said this in my opening comments today. Uh, your column out today at nationalobserver.com. Danielle Smith's anti urban agenda should scare Albertans and worry her fellow conservatives now at risk of coming across as a fear monger may i ask you sir to please justify invoking the word scare let's get into it sure uh, you know our cities uh, edmonton and calgary but also you know madison hat red deer all these other cities in, in alberta they're the lifeblood of, of our province of our economy of our cultural scenes of almost every walk of life uh, and thing that that drives this this province forward you know absent agriculture, which is which is crucially important. And I think we hear about that all the time. But cities matter in the 21st century. Cities are what attracts talent. Cities are what creates tax revenue. And when you have a, a premier who is essentially saying, well, I'm just going to write off the two biggest cities in my province and collect enough votes in the rest of the province to win, that's that's a problem. That's a problem economically. That's a problem in terms of the province's long-term competitiveness. And it should worry people, uh, you know, just just as if you had a, a premier who said, well, I'm going to write off uh, rural Alberta and we don't care about those people. You know, we don't need their their votes. That would be worrying, too. And and I would note that, you know, as much as the the NDP doesn't do well there, I don't think they've ever said anything like that. I don't think they've said the votes out there don't matter. We don't care. We don't need them. I think they'd like to have them. Um, but, 
you know, for Daniel Smith to lay out her sort of calculus and just say, I don't need y'all. I've got enough votes elsewhere to win betrays a, a spirit that is not in keeping with leadership. You know, leadership is you lead for all people. You serve all people, even if they didn't vote for you. And to take to tell millions of Albertans, I don't even need your vote. Mm. Um, it is it, it's not authoritarian. But it's it's undemocratic, I would say. I remember a specific sit down that I had. I didn't get hauled into the office too often uh, in my previous employee on that terrestrial radio station. But I do remember being called in to the boss's office on one occasion after I had read through our text line, which which is always like jumping into a pit of vipers. Uh, but I, I had, I had uh, jumped into the text line. and I was reading some of the comments live on the air, and one was particularly aggressive. Um, and I wasn't able to speak on that radio station like I am here. So I couldn't invite, you know, the person to kindly fuck off or what have you. So, so I, I simply invited them uh, to shut off the radio station, to erase it from their presets and to forget us forever. And I remember my boss uh, reminding me that from a business standpoint, that was rather self-defeating. Uh, and he invited me to refrain from continuing that approach or making that a trend, uh, asking people to forget about the radio station and turn it off forever. It kind of feels like the strategy that the premier is going with to a certain degree. And so, yeah, sure, like you say, maybe it should scare Albertans. But if I'm an MLA or a current minister in Calgary, uh, if I'm a conservative voter that would like to see the UCP hold government, if I'm a Danielle Smith staffer, I'm wondering about the strategy here, too. It sounds to me, as you write, I mean, I'll use your words, a form of political suicide. Sure feels that way. I mean, you know, if you wanted to get rid of whatever vestiges of the, the you know, Alberta PCs that were left in the United Conservative Party, this is a good way to do it because, you know, the PCs are overwhelmingly located still in the cities. Uh, you know, sort of seems like she wants to recreate Wild Rose uh, with a with the UCP banner. But yeah, you know, look, I, you know, I don't think people would think of me as a Jason Kenney fan, but to his credit, his his campaign in 2019 and his government ever, you know, for the years that he was in charge of it, tried to speak to all Albertans. You know, it spoke to Albertans in Calgary. It spoke to Albertans in Edmonton, not always effectively, but it tried. Um, and it certainly spoke to Albertans in rural in rural parts of the province. He did not segment his message by geography. Uh, it was sort of a, a pan-Albertan prosperity message. And this just feels needlessly uh, sort of segmented and uh, unambitious, you know. Um, just it's obviously she's not going to win as many seats in Calgary as Jason Kenney did. That's fine. You can you can acknowledge that and say we hope to compete for those seats. Um, you know, we may not win them all, but we're certainly going to try. But to just say to Rick Bell, like, yeah, we, you know, we don't need those seats. You know, fuck them. Uh, it is just must be so demoralizing if you're a, like you said, a staffer, an MLA, a minister, a volunteer, someone who's been with the party for years, maybe who helped like create the party as a volunteer. And now to hear your leader say, yeah, I don't really need your support. Uh, it's got to be really disheartening. Yeah. And I'm also like, I, I, I approach my words carefully because I don't want to. I mean, let me say, like, I'm, you know, my family, the tradition is, is, is rich in agriculture and there's tech and innovation and entrepreneurial drive in agriculture. And I know that. So let me be clear. I'm not making the point that I think that all business and all innovation and all economic activity happens in the cities. That's not the point I'm making. 
But there's a ton of innovation in business that happens in the cities. The cities are oftentimes what draws workers from across Canada and around the world. The cities are often what young families target as, as, as a great place to live and raise their families. And to me, just with, with regards to like strategy, let's say attracting international investment as an example, it seems like a like a dangerous strategy on that front as well. Like not everything. We talked to the strategists about this on our on our Real Talk Roundtable on Friday presented by Urban Timbers. This is like it's not all just political strategy, right? Governing also is communicating your plan to the general population so they understand what the landscape looks like. You you, you want to not just I don't want to say placate. You, you don't you don't want to just uh, empower people to feel as though their investment here is smart. You want to attract it. And this seems to me to be closing the door on some pretty huge opportunities at a time when Alberta has been trending in a really positive direction. Yeah, I think Zane made a very good point in that conversation is that she's still talking and behaving like she's a pundit and not the premier, right? And and her comments maybe make sense if you're a pundit uh, or you're someone who's sort of doing internal party math. But as the premier of the entire province, you need to speak to and try to lead the entire province. Um, and absolutely, if you're you know, a business that's looking to relocate head offices to Calgary. There's, you know, there's been a bunch of recent announcements, you know, WestJet. Uh, I think there was a tech company called Infosys. Like there's been a lot of good news in Calgary. But if you're a good news announcement in the pipeline and you hear that the premier of the province doesn't really care for Calgary and wants to put rural Alberta first, aren't you going to press pause on that decision? Aren't you going to maybe reassess and, and wait until she's been in government for a year and, you know, see if there's a Liz Truss moment uh, you know, like there's there's just so much uncertainty that these sorts of comments throw into a situation that doesn't need to be uncertain. Uh, and like you said, with all this good news happening lately for the province, what an odd way to kind of, uh, you know, put a spanner in the works. Uh, I want to I want this uh, conversation to be a tale of three premiers. And so let's move just a little bit east to Saskatchewan. Premier Scott Moe releasing a, uh, a policy paper claiming that the federal government's climate and environmental policies are going to cost Saskatchewan $111 billion over the next 12 years, you know, about $9 billion a year a cost. He says he will uh, affirm and advance Saskatchewan's constitutional authority and autonomy within Canada, kind of a common theme in particular with conservative premiers across the country. What do you make of the numbers? What do you make of the claim? What do you make of the policy paper? Where do you land on this? I mean, I'm dying to know if there are any public servants who worked on this policy paper because on some level, they should have to resign uh, on the basis of what's in this. This is this is so ludicrously bad in terms of its math, in terms of its assumptions. Like this would get thrown out of a first year university class uh, for being just ridiculously stupid. So, you know, let's go into the numbers a little bit. $111 billion in costs. Well, guess what Scott Moe's government forgot to include in that? The carbon tax rebate, which exists, which is real. I know some people don't want to believe it or can't find it on their bank statements. And, and certainly that's on the federal government. But 25 billion out of that 111 gets knocked out, according to University of Calgary's Trevor Toome. You know, that, 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 that 20, there's 25 billion there he's just forgetting about. There's, you know, the, the, the cost of the electric car uh, situation. He seems to assume that every electric car for the foreseeable future will cost $20,000 more than every other car. And people are going to keep paying that. He doesn't account for the fact that electric cars have lower operating costs. Like there's just so many obviously biased assumptions built into this report. It, it should be dismissed on its face. Uh, and, and quite frankly, he should be ridiculed for it. Now, you know, what, what did Trevor Toome say? He said, 
yes, there's a cost to climate action. You know, maybe it's in the, the order of 10 to $20 billion over the course of the period he talks about here. So let's talk about the real cost, but we also should be talking about the cost of not doing anything. You know, Saskatchewan is, a, is an agricultural province. It, uh, it, you know, will be affected by climate change just as much as any other province, perhaps more than any other province. And so, you know, l- let's have a serious grown-up conversation about this stuff. Yes, there is a cost to taking action on climate change, but it is not this ludicrously inflated cost. And the cost of not taking action is not zero. Um, you know, it would be nice if we can have an adult conversation about this stuff. I know that sort of sounds like wishful thinking in, you know, the year 2022, but, but I still cling to the fact that, you know, public officials should have to stay within the bounds of reality and should have to use numbers that are at least somewhat connected to the real world. Johnny, I wonder if that should be our, our new billboard, Real Talk, Your Home for Adult Conversations. <laughs> I think uh, we'd get the wrong kind of response. The wrong community <laughs> would be drawn in there, but good idea. Right. Oh, you're, yeah, 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 yeah. you're thinking more NC-17. Yeah. Uh, Max, this is, uh, <clears throat> well, I mean, we were talking about the, the tomato soup on Van Gogh's sunflowers. And uh, do you have a take on that, by the way, Uh, the the act of protest, the act of demonstration? Do you have a hot take on that? We spent yesterday talking about it. I don't know if it's hot. I mean, you know, climate activists are often their own worst enemy. And and this is just proof of that. Like, this doesn't raise anyone's awareness about anything other than your own stupidity. Um, And young people have every right to be stupid. It's part of being young. But, you know, if you're trying to advance the cause of climate change and climate policy, throwing soup at a priceless work of art that has nothing to do with climate change, just about the dumbest way you could do it. And, you know, it's sort of the equivalent of people who block morning traffic, you know, uh, who delay people getting to work to raise awareness about climate change. All you've done is piss those people off. You've raised your, their awareness of your terribleness, right? That's, that is not a effective way to advocate for your policies and your solutions. But, you know, uh, just as, as people have the right to free speech, they have the right to, to, to be silly and stupid and, you know, they'll pay the price for this, I'm sure, uh, in some way or another. Well, this is it, it, it's a very real expression of how some people feel. I mean, you can you know, this, you can see the tomato soup dripping off the frame. It's it's a visceral type of expression, whereas conversations around, let's say, the carbon tax or effective policy comes across as and I'm not saying it's not real, uh, but it's a little more academic. You know what I mean? And I've seen you make statements. In fact, I think you just tweeted at the former principal secretary of the PM, uh, Gerald Butts, just yesterday, you said something like uh, carbon tax was excellent policy, horribly communicated. And I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, you know, with the, with the carbon tax set to rise, you know, we see Pierre Polyev talking about how the carbon tax is set to triple and cost of living uh, skyrocketing right now. Groceries at an all time high. I haven't even talked about Galen Weston and, and the others talking about freezing their prices, but they're freezing them at the all time high, uh, which which is is a bit of an own uh, in a way, a cell phone, if you will, from a from a messaging standpoint. What needs to change? Like policy can be good, but if communicated poorly or if rolled out, I don't even want to say this because I know what you're going to say in response. But if rolled out at a at the wrong time or at an inconvenient time and people are screaming at their speakers right now. What do you mean at the wrong time? The planet's burning. The temperatures are rising. Uh, but so is the cost of living. And that's real to people. The visceral feeling of having to pick and choose which bills you're going to pay every month. How could it be better implemented? How could it be better communicated? What if you were calling the shots? Well, I mean, I think right now the 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 government is in for a penny and for a pound on this stuff it's going to be really hard for them to reverse course for any number of reasons but i you know i've been saying this 
for five or six years now, I feel like, um, you know, I w worked in the Alberta Climate Change Office, uh, learned some very, very important lessons there, worked with some very, very smart people, much smarter than I am around policy design. And they designed policies that I, I still believe in, and, you know, they were the template for the federal carbon tax, the smartest car climate policy I think we've seen in, in the Western world from a policy perspective, from a political perspective, I think they made themselves needlessly vulnerable. Um, you know, I, th there was a preference for, for economic efficiency over political durability. And I think in hindsight, making policies that were more politically durable would have been a better choice. So you look at the United States and the Inflation Reduction Act, they didn't do carbon taxes because I think they looked at Canada and said, oh no, that's putting a giant bullseye on this, this policy that we need to be in place in perpetuity. Instead, they did regulations, subsidies, tax credits, stuff that people can't really get too excited about because they don't see it on their gas bill every day. Um, and I think those policies, they're less efficient, um, but they may be more durable and more effective. So, you know, with the carbon tax rebate federally, you know, first they did it as a, as a deduction on your income taxes. Big mistake. Uh, most people don't understand a lot of the deductions on their income taxes. Many people have people do it for them who may not tell them about it. And they didn't even call it the carbon tax rebate. They called it the climate action incentive. Very poor language. Uh, they finally sort of got the, the memo on this and started doing direct deposits this year. The first one I think we got in July, the last one we just got last week. But again, the, the language problem. So some people's bank accounts, it says carbon or climate action incentive. Some people it says CAI. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes it says EFT Credit Canada. Uh, in one case, it says not climate action incentive. What? Believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, because they didn't force the banks to all communicate it the same way. They gave them free hand to sort of describe it as they chose. And I think they, they're, they're rem remedying that now. They've reached out to the banks and said, you have to all describe it the way we want you to describe it. But the ship has sailed. People are confused. I can't tell you how many people... On Twitter, I've had to sort of walk through. Here's where you find your carbon tax rebate. I've seen and they you go, do it. I've never, I've never gotten it. And then I show them, and they go, "Oh, okay, fair enough." Like, yeah, I think, I think a couple of people have also exposed themselves as to not having filed their taxes yet, which is is also, wow. you know, probably that. Uh, I mean, it, but it could also be something like I, I know I'm, I'm not dumbing it down. This is comms policy these days. This is strategy these days. Put the prime minister on a TikTok video. Put the prime minister on an Instagram live, being like, "Hey, everybody. Hey, Canada. What's up? It's JT. Check your." you know check your uh tax returns check your notice of assessment check your you know i mean like it's it just to me seems to be a pretty obvious way maybe i'm dumbing it down maybe i'm oversimplifying it but but communication strategy doesn't always have to be super high level and trickling down sometimes you got to meet the people where they're at where are the loudest critics the people that aren't watching the 24-hour cable news cycle the people that aren't necessarily always downloading real talk every day to their own intellectual peril i think sometimes that politicians need to better understand how to hit people where they're at. And conservatives understand this. This is their this is probably their greatest yep. political strength is they they find a simple message track and then they just beat it to death. Right. They stay on it. They repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. You know, Kenny did that jobs, economy pipeline, and you can mock it, but it worked. Um, and now Polyev is on it with with, you know, tripling the carbon tax. And it's deceitful. It's a little bit dishonest, but he, it works. People are picking up on it. And, you know, on the other side, the Alberta NDP, you know, when I worked there in the government, they, they ran away from their own message. They didn't talk about the carbon tax rebate. They, they were shy about it because I think they understood that it was not a winner for them. 
Same thing is happening at the federal level. The liberals do not talk about it enough. You know, they've they've started to pick up the volume, but it's at this point, you know, the ship is way out of the harbor. What they should have done from day one is send people physical checks, right? Yes, it's inefficient. Yes, some people will criticize you for for you know creating greenhouse gas emissions that, the way yeah. they criticize the prime minister when he travels, but forcing people to go and cash a check that says carbon tax rebate and there's a letter inside explaining where it comes from and why it's great people would not be confused the way they are now and and i think the policymakers in the federal government kind of were allowed to drive the bus a little bit too much and the communications people were not present in the room uh, nearly as often okay as this they is, should have been. this this is a party game and it's too easy this is this is elementary level party game but you talk about catchphrases and and effective messaging i want to see how long it takes you to identify the politician who campaigned on gravy train uh doug ford nailed it let's move to ontario doug ford yesterday taking a question sort of not i guess finally finally talking about the feds invoking the emergencies act i actually was telling sapria last week i thought it was amazing strategy on doug ford's part uh to just stay out of it uh, i'm not saying that that was best for the people but i thought from from a political standpoint he saw that convoy coming from a thousand kilometers away and said i don't want to get my boots or hands dirty on this one yes i, I stood shoulder to shoulder with the, the prime minister uh, the, these uh, folks were, were, you know, camping out everything from whirlpools, disrupting downtown, disrupting the lives of the people of Ottawa. Uh, we've worked collaboratively with, with the mayor and the, the, the prime minister over at the borders. They were holding up a billion dollars of trade every single day getting across our borders. We were getting phone calls from governors. It's unacceptable. Uh, myself and, and I know the prime minister believe in free speech. And if you want to protest, protest. If you want to come down to Queen's Park and do cartwheels. But if you disrupt the lives of the people of Ottawa every single day, disrupt the lives of economic flow across our borders, I have zero tolerance for it. Were you surprised? I wasn't because, you know, Doug Ford, I don't think a whole lot of him is a premier. But as a politician, he's probably the smartest and most effective politician in Canada today. He reads situations, I think, more effectively especially given that he's a conservative and and sort of has a certain certainly on this issue a certain level of blinders on but he sees through it right he sees trouble with the convoy and he sees that people are either going to look to the city of ottawa or the federal government to blame they're not going to figure out to blame the province because the province is sort of the the meat in the in the jurisdictional sandwich right like it's in the middle people don't really see it so, so he understood that he can kind of hang back and get away with this and and you know, let the chips fall where they may, that there was no upside for him uh, in either embracing or vocally opposing. Um, but there's a lesson here, like, you know, Pierre Poilievre should be looking at everything Doug Ford does politically and saying, should I be doing the same thing? Because that guy's won two elections and I, I'm, you know, not really polling as high as I should be. Uh, you know, Polyev is very, very close to this thing, too close, I think. And if bad things keep coming out of this inquiry, it's going to stick to him. And, you know, Doug Ford understands that he's, he showed this throughout the pandemic, whether it's Christian Freeland or the prime minister. It's OK to, to hug the Fed sometimes. Uh, you know, there is there is advantage in ha them having your back and you having their back. 
And I think there's a lesson there for for other conservative politicians in this country. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not necessarily 100 percent convinced that you're right about Pierre Polyev in the sense that and let me just develop the thought quickly. It, it's kind of the same as as this gamble that we're talking about with with Premier Danielle Smith in, in that they, they they've identified their base. They've crunched the numbers. They've they've got their strategy and they believe that if they can hold that down, if they can lock that support down, that they can win. Uh, and the worst thing, the thing that they could possibly do would be to walk back or dilute the messaging. And Pierre Polyev just doubled the membership of the conservative party by refusing to apologize for the convoy. In fact, for doubling down on his support of the convoy. Now, whether or not that's that's going to work in a general election, I don't know. But I, I don't ignore what I see around me. And that is this energy that Pierre Polyev is infusing into what was, quite frankly, a stagnant party under Aaron O'Toole and under Andrew Scheer. Okay, but where does a lot of that support come from, right? Many of those signups were from Saskatchewan and Alberta. You know, the, the, the biggest sign-up ridings uh, sort of were disproportionately on the prairies where, guess what, the Conservatives already hold all but two seats. So he can, he can amp up the energy in, in the Conservative Party and the prairies all he wants. It's not going to help him form government. The path to government is formed through the 905 region in Toronto, and Doug Ford is the master of the 905 region. He understands that part of the province better than anyone. He showed it in the last election in Ontario. He has the pulse of the people who are there. And if he is saying, I don't want any part of this convoy, I think it's bad stuff. At the very least, Polyev should be getting closer to him uh, and trying to sort of find some room where he can get a little closer to Ford's message. Um, you know, otherwise, they're going to repeat the same thing that happened under Andrew Scheer, which is, hey, you did really well in the prairies and you lost the election. Yeah. Uh, before we go, you mentioned Christia Freeland. I saw that, that you, were, you were getting in the muck and mire on Twitter a little bit uh, with your comments on her comments in Washington, D.C. last week. We discussed it on Real Talk on, on Friday's episode uh, with both Sapria and with the strategist. Essentially, uh, and correct me if you think I'm misrepresenting the deputy prime minister, uh, she told a forum uh, at an event sponsored uh, or at least a gathering around the IMF, uh, World Bank, that, that she thought that Africa had not displayed the same commitment to democracy as Ukraine in so many ways as uh, Africans or, or people in certain African nations had not uh, demonstrated a, will a willingness to fight and die for democracy uh, and conversations around where the money might go and, and some African nations perhaps falling into bed with Vladimir Putin's Russia. Uh, your take on the comments, the magnitude of them, how they resonated and what it means, generally speaking, for the discussion moving forward. Yeah, I'm not sure that she said what said it quite the way you said it, but I think people who are sort of in the development community in Africa have every right to feel frustrated about the the attention that Ukraine is getting. Um, you know, it, I think you know, in that there are finite dollars out there, dollars that go there are probably getting pulled out of other places, and and Africa has traditionally gotten the short end of the stick. So I understand their frustration. Um, I appreciate that she apologized today for her comments and didn't say, I'm sorry, you feel offended. She said, I'm sorry, uh, you know, which is which is a distinction that matters. Um, I'm not sure it's going to to have any impact on, you know, on our politics going forward or, or, or anything that's happening in Ukraine. But we do have to be careful not to let sort of our, our attention on that part of the world distract us from the rest of the world, because there are crises uh, unfolding in other parts of the world, especially with inflation. Uh, you know, inflation that's being driven by what's happening in Ukraine. 
uh, and by, you know, by Russia's weaponization of its agricultural exports. But we can't be blind to the fact that these countries have to serve their own self-interest. And to just say, well, you should be willing to fight and die for democracy, I think is a little, little bit of a, a facile way to look at the situation. And I, I suspect that the deputy prime minister uh, regrets that she made it as simple as, as it came off. You see those, uh, those drone strikes in Kyiv? Uh, yesterday absolutely wild stuff uh it's unbelievable yeah. what's happening in ukraine um we're going to be following that uh, through the course of our coverage uh, this week into next as well max we're always grateful for your time uh keep up the fantastic work uh as lead columnist at canada's national observer people can check it out and subscribe at nationalobserver.com we'll talk to you again soon Thanks, Ryan. Pleasure as always. Yeah, you bet. Uh, again, you can follow Max on Twitter. Obviously, encourage you to do so. There is never a dull day on Max Fawcett's Twitter timeline, uh, to say the very least. Uh, that conversation was presented by our friends at Park Power, who, of course, power our Real Talk RJ hashtag. Uh, my friends, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Uh, you know, we're talking about carbon pricing. We're talking about the cost of heating homes and powering families. I mean, costs rise through the winter months. It's a better time now than ever before to get ahead of those rising costs by going to parkpower.ca and comparing what you're paying now for your internet, electricity, and natural gas versus what you could pay with Park Power. They've got the fixed rate, the variable rate, uh, whatever you feel is a better fit for you. Uh, you can bundle all your services together like many real talkers have done. We heard from Michael yesterday who said, done and done. Congratulations to Michael's household. Putting more money in their pocket, including $70 knocked off their first bill with the promo code 2022 dash real talk at parkpower.ca great resources there with frequently asked questions as well you can learn about the 10 percent of their profits they plug back into communities that's right they support nonprofits as a local utilities provider how cool is that we're proud to do business with park power same goes with sherwood and st albert dodge if your family's in the market maybe you're in the market to treat yourself to a new ride your old whip has served you well doesn't owe you anything but you're not sure it's going to start morning after morning after morning at minus 25 well make shopping easier than ever before by visiting sherwood and st albert dodge online or of course in person you can check out that new dodge hornet they're taking pre-orders right now and of course they're alberta's best selection when it comes to the 1500 the dodge ram the back-to-back-to-back motor trend truck of the year you'll find sherwood and st albert dodge online under the sponsors tab on our website ryanjesperson.com at local environmental services it's not just garbage not to them rethink your relationship when you work with local environmental services they believe communities deserve better a better service better prices and more support for local causes what does it mean well check out today the who is local link at localenvironmental.ca if you're in business whether it's a, a restaurant maybe it's a small retail location maybe you're in charge of an entire shopping mall if you're in charge of garbage and recycling decisions local environmental services will beat the contract that you're paying right now they guarantee it and of course they sponsor trash talk every friday coming up here on the show you got something to get off your chest send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com you can hear your rant go and blast it out on the real talk platform that's coming up this friday 
And John at Friesen Brothers, 16 Alberta locations across Alberta. People were excited yesterday to hear that you had tracked down and discovered the plant-based Baby Bell cheese. I'm telling you right now, I put up an Instagram post. It was probably my most responded to post of the entire year. Is that like, where? I need this now. I said, Friesen Bros, Southside go now i got emails about it which is super cool (laughs) super cool of course it's not just for vegans like people you know can't eat a lot of dairy whatever easy on your stomach and if it tastes the same give me three give you three plus oktoberfest is back at friesen brothers i wanted to let you know available in stony plain fort saskatchewan Drumheller, hinton hill shout out to hinton this morning peace river and their edmonton location october 29th and 30th starting from 4 to 8 p.m you can experience all of the classic german cuisine that has been part of the Oktoberfest experience for years. It's all at the Friesen Brothers Fresh Market stores. All you can eat. That's how they roll. Dinner with dessert. Details at Friesen.com. Well, every Tuesday, our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy give us an opportunity to celebrate innovation where we see it in the world around us. It's called the Leading Edge. And in this week's edition... We're featuring a high school student, an award-winning high school student that has captivated those that have heard about her invention inspired by the story of a Syrian swim instructor that's teaching amputee children how to cope with the trauma of war. Yeah, that's right. This is Mehwan Yu. When she was in grade 10, she heard about this program by Abdul Vahad Nakar, who's working with children who are learning to swim, developing extreme abilities with their feet and their lower limbs to enjoy a new sport, to overcome their challenges. So you wanted to see how she might be able to assist people with disabilities. And so at just 16 years of age, she created a foot-operated computer mouse for people with upper limb disabilities. It's called Coast. That's Computer Operating Assistance System Technology, a shoe pad mouse that's allowing people to access computer technology with their feet. She's 16, everybody. So it's won her the Best Young Inventor Award at the International Invention Innovation Competition in Canada. She says she's got a passion for STEM, for science, tech, engineering, and math. And she says that this is something that she wants to develop as she kicks off her innovation career. She's pointing to the University of Waterloo's Additive Manufacturing Summer Program. She's just been accepted there, and now she's shadowing professors to learn how she can turn this invention into reality. She's developed a 3D model. It works with the computer. Now, sky's the limit. This is a remarkable story of a young Canadian making a big impact in the world around her. Mehuan Yu is making computer technology accessible to people that otherwise would experience great challenge. And that's why she's in the spotlight of this week's edition of The Leading Edge, presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. I love that story. I do as well. I think I need one of those because I have so many buttons and screens over here. I think that might, if I had a third limb here, it would kind of, <laughs> no, but that's an amazing invention by 
it's so young. I hear that's what I'm thinking. I'm Makes like, when me I feel was, like I've done nothing with my life when I yeah, hear things. Yeah, when I was like 16. That. I mean, we yeah. had our parent-teacher interviews last night for our mm-hmm. little guy. Gl- glowing reviews, by the way. We were really excited about that. His grade two teacher, uh, she said, you know, she said there were there were some uh, similarities, some commonalities with dad, with father and son. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said she said sometimes he's so enthusiastic to share his ideas. He we're, we're, we're teaching him to to harness the enthusiasm <laughs> and to speak at the appropriate times, which is something that we can we can work on. But that was great. But I remember parent-teacher interviews back in the day. I always had a bit of a pit in my stomach. Yeah. I always felt a little bit sick because my parents were going to be brought up to speed on on my class clown-like persona Same. in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And now you hear of 16-year-olds that are developing foot-operated mouse pad or mm-hmm. mouses, rather, computer technology for people. And I just go, wow. So like you, focused. You imagine like, when she's 21, 25, 30, 40. Life-changing. World-changing. Isn't that incredible? Coming from the youth. I love it. Very cool. If you have an invention or an innovation that you would love to see featured on the show, it could be part of the leading edge on Tuesday, or maybe it's something that that turns into an interview. Maybe we do a full segment on it. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's exactly what Ron did yesterday. I wanted to give Ron's email a shout out. He says, uh, Jespo and crew, last week, uh, you and Hicks, he says, briefly talked about UFOs. Uh, This was an (laughs) impromptu. conversation yeah. we had about the yeah. supernatural uh, mm-hmm. last week you can check out our twitter timeline it's it's on our instagram as well and tiktok but the supernatural he says i wanted to share a personal experience with you uh, he said august 10 years ago august of 2012 he says while my grandmother was visiting i let my dog out uh, out into the backyard so naturally my eyes drifted upward he says no joke with christ as my witness i saw something moving across the sky and ron says at first i dismissed it as as yet another plane you know my house was on the takeoff and landing approach for the airport until what happened next ron says the object that i saw went straight up like at a perfect 90 degree angle he says now i know it could be dismissed as another plane and and it probably was but where's the fun in that says ron i swear on that august night in 2012 i saw a ufo Now, Ron says, now, I know this is a departure of my usual whining about Alberta politics, but I felt like I wanted to share. And I really do hope that when you have a slow news day, no such thing, he says, maybe around Halloween. Love it. He says, you run a special spooky episode. That from Ron. I like the idea. <laughs> I do too. Yeah, so that's something we'll it's look so into. so lucky when you see a UFO because I've been looking. I'm just, I'm one of those like especially in Alberta here, like we have, I told you, we have the most UFO sightings in all of Canada right here yeah. in this province. So do we have to say alleged UFO sightings or I can we just go with it? Whatever. I would love to just see a fast moving. Yeah, you, know, you know, I've never seen anything like that. So yeah. for someone to just catch it, you know, by luck, when I'm out there like scouring the skies. Yeah. It's like my paper towel roll story. It's like you don't believe it. Until, until you happens. see it. Yeah. You don't believe it until it happens to you. So we're putting out the call. I mean, Ron, we're wide open to doing a fun show on this. Real talk. We say we're news, politics, and pop culture. We're not just, I mean, we're going to talk about the stuff that matters to you, but let's have a little fun as well. So if you're listening to this in your car, if you're listening while you're walking the dog, if you're listening to this at work or at home, and there's a story you have to tell, take some time, 
put it into an email and let us know about it. We'd love to hear it as we start the editorial process of putting together a feature here what on you, Real Talk. I don't know Halloween? if we'll do it for Halloween, but we'll do it. I, I want to do it in the next. We're, we're going to we're going to we're going to look. We're going to find the best possible guests. And, okay. and this is something I think that'll be a lot of fun. What are you going to be for Halloween? Uh, Obviously, for, you're taking for, a while. Yeah, yeah, for Halloween, it's 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 a big deal for our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always just kind of go along with it. And so there's an idea right now that that that, that, oh, that like the family, family is that, that there's always a family costume, and if I were to reveal it right now, I would be in serious trouble. Same, yeah. So I don't want to. Uh, so I don't want to get into it. But it's yeah. going to be creative, and uh, and we hope that it will capture everyone's attention and inspire everybody to to do their own you know deep costume dive. Are we dressing up that Friday for the show? I guess it'll depend who the guest is, okay. right? I, like I can't I, dress up as like Super Mario no. and then uh, you know interview the Prime Minister or something like that. I think that. I'll be you. We could dress up as each other. <laughs> oh, wear glasses and a cardigan and come in here. Yeah, we could. A buddy of mine did dress up as me one Halloween, and he just went around doing T-shirt tosses at the party, and it was kind of a reference for Oilers fans. We but. could fade in on the intro of the show, and then boom, it's it's me. <laughs> you host, and then I could, uh, yeah, I I'm could you, try to technically tech. produce. It would be the worst produced real talk in history. We'd be knocked off the live stream. The mics wouldn't work. The cameras would be out of focus. It would be a total disaster. Oh. Uh, yeah, but that could be fun. We do have a fun holiday edition of Real Talk coming up for our Patreon supporters. So check your email for that. We'll and we have, have another special show that. coming up on Friday. You want to say it? You can say no, it. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, let's our, say it. no. Let's say it. it's our 500th episode. It coming is up our 500th. It's hard to believe. 500 Talk. shows, and we'll mark that on on Friday. We're still trying to determine exactly how. Probably just a big magnum of champagne. I think that that's probably what's going <laughs> to go down. the show, business as usual, and a magnum of champagne during it. Uh, either that, or, or maybe uh, selections from the Fall Blizzard collection at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park. What do you think, pal? Maybe maybe I'll roll in, grab you some dairy free dilly bars. Those are a fan favorite as well. The Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, West Mountain, and Sherwood Park at Baseline Road. By the way, a beautiful facelift at the Baseline Road location. That Dairy Queen, one of the busiest in Canada. and They've taken the necessary steps to ensure your experience there is wonderful. Now, if you want to ensure that on the taste front, take my advice. I had one of these this weekend. The fan favorite, the pumpkin pie blizzard. Hot diggity damn, John. They've nailed it. Real chunks of pumpkin pie. And then, of course, top with the whipped cream. I tried to make the whipped cream last through the entire blizzard. I just kind of shaved away at it as I took my big heaping spoon fills. Wyatt, my little guy watching me, he goes, how are you not getting brain freeze? Which I took as some sort of a judgment on the pace of my consumption. Oh, yeah, or a compliment. Uh, I, said, Wyatt, I, said, yeah, I said, Wyatt, I said, Wyatt, it's melting. I have to eat it quickly. <laughs> I was hammering that thing back. And I think you might as well. Plus the cinnamon roll blizzard, one worth checking out at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton. And Sherwood Park. All right, coming up on tomorrow's uh, show, we got a lot in store. Brandy Morin's going to hang out with us, the award-winning journalist and Edward R. Murrow Award. She picked it up in New York City. Uh, just an absolutely fierce talent. And then on Thursday, Dr. Jody Carrington. How do we meet in the middle? How do we talk to people we disagree with? How do we... Uh, Pursue healthy debate around family dinner tables as the holidays approach. Plus, on Friday, we're going to get into some interesting polling. Canadians' top political priorities. We'll dig into the numbers coming up on Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. 
Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.